This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 135 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have two guests who serve people and horses, making healthier relationships. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my trusty producer, Jen, here with me today. Thank God. <laughs> it's nice to know that I'm trusty. I like oh, that. Oh, and so needed. So needed. <laughs> <laughs> Could not do this without you. Could not do yeah. this. Oh, I my wouldn't gosh. want you to. I enjoy Thank doing you. the show. Good. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, you're going to enjoy a couple of people we have on today. Um, really different worlds, kind of self-help world and then horse help world. No, he's a vet, <laughs> a veterinarian. And uh, I really, they really do come from different worlds. One young, one is in the waning career right now. He's still working at it part-time because he loves it, but uh, probably, you know, should be fishing somewhere if he really had his druthers, but he loves his horses. It's interesting how so many people who their whose careers are within the horse industry end up that way. They never really retire. Yeah, I know. I love it. I mean, it is a nice statement about the industry, isn't it? Well, it, that that saying about nobody gets into horses because they want to make a fortune. Okay, there's that too. Yeah. Well, and it's <laughs> they true. Can't though, get out of it. Yeah. Some some people make a very comfortable living. Yes, mm-hmm. but I think the vast majority of people really do get into the horse business and, and at least stay in the horses, horse business. You stay in the horse business because you're passionate about it. And they really are good for us. I think, you know, you, I don't know if that's an endorphin thing or it's just a, a, a lovely place to be when you're with horses, but it w- doesn't matter. It's both. And I think that's what people, people would say, how could I ever see myself without horses in my life? I, can't picture it, which is really cool. Hopefully we keep people that way. You know, we keep people in our industry. And I think these people are actually making that happen. That's what I love about these two guests is Devin, who you will hear from. Devin is really creating an environment that just pulls people into that vortex because they're looking for that that element. And then Chris is just out there banging for us, making sure that horses have um, a fair shake and that they're, they're he's an advocate for them. He's a voice for them. And he's also keeping them healthier for us in environments that can be stressful. So you'll have to hear how he does that. Yeah, it's really cool. They're, they are both advocating for horses in our lives within the horse community and also from bringing people from outside the horse community in, which is mm-hmm. so key. So mm-hmm. let's get to it and enjoy our two guests right after we hear from our title sponsors, Omega Fields. Hi, Joe Camp here to share about Omega Fields. Omega Fields exists to help you keep your first promise to the horses you love, to care for them well. Nutrition is the foundation of a healthy life and supports all the activity that brings you and your horse so much joy. Omega-3s from flax are the cornerstone of that foundation. So, coupled with the finest ingredients and their proprietary pure glean flax stabilization process, they created Omega Horseshine, Omega Horseshine Complete, Omega Nibblers, Low Sugar and Starch, Omega Antioxidant, and Proventum Probiotic Soft Treats. 
Thousands of horses are experiencing a vibrant life with the help of Omega Fields products, including all of ours, a part of helping you keep your promise to your friends. Nutrition for a healthy life isn't just their slogan. It's their purpose. Devin Combs, horse listener and certified equine gestalt coach, is a long-respected horsewoman, a former competitive three-day eventer, a United States Pony Club alumnus, and outward-bound instructor course graduate. Devin is published in Speaking Your Truth, Courageous Stories from Inspiring Women, and a speaker about positive body image and eating disorder recovery. Devin's experienced horsemanship skills combined with the Gestalt method and life coaching assist her clients in uncovering their aha moments to take beyond the arena and into their daily lives. Well, welcome, Devin Combs. I, you know, I think this might be the first time I've had an equine Gestalt coach on the radio. Welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing very well here in Colorado, looking outside at some snow. Oh, so yeah, you still got snow on the ground uh, for us in California and Florida. My producers in Florida. We haven't seen any of that this winter, but we've been hearing a lot about you guys. I thought this would be the time when you'd go to Arizona, maybe for one of the <laughs> retreats. I just got back, Debbie. I wish I would have stayed uh, another week. Yeah. Yeah, we're still more. in winter weather here. Yeah, we're talking mid-April here now, too, so that's crazy. Well, I love what you said um, on your website. People should Google around a little bit to find out your background, but um, we we know a little bit about your horsey background, but I love this comment that I read that you said, I help women find clarity and purpose through the healing power of horses. I mean, I just want to go, ah, through that, but I want you to explain a little bit about that for us. We know you're a coach. Tell us how you... you you place that for us. Yeah. So, and the fact you took a deep breath happens often when women are working with horses with me at these retreats. So a little bit of my background, I grew up with horses and was showing and pony club and eventing was my real passion, but very much in the competitive spirit of horses and a lot of doing with horses. And In my later high school years, um, I had an eating disorder and struggled with depression and tried various different therapies and nothing really worked. I was very much stuck in my head, very much trying to control everything and project this image of perfection. And it really was only when I was at the barn hanging out after the shows or just being with my horse that I truly felt at peace. Mm-hmm. And I was sent to a treatment center in Arizona that was specific for women with eating disorders. And I experienced equine therapy for the first time. Right. And Debbie, I'll never forget it. It was life-changing. We showed up at the therapy ranch and I looked around and there were no bridles, no saddles, <laughs> just a round pen with yeah. a horse. Yeah. And I volunteered to go in the round pen and be with this horse. And the therapist said, you know, you need to go, go connect with this horse, Jack. So I walked right up to him just in my confident horsewoman persona. And Jack walked away from me. <laughs> Literally turned his butt, walked as far away as he could. And in that moment, I felt 
fear. I felt rejection. I felt embarrassed. All these people were watching and here I, I was looking like an amateur. Yeah. And the therapist at the time, she said, Devin, you need to stop. Stop overthinking this. Stop trying. You need to simply be and breathe. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was so disconnected from my body. And it was really when I was breathing and present and I closed my eyes and all of a sudden all these emotions started to come up that Mm -hmm. for the first time in my 21 years at that point, I couldn't stop. Mm -hmm. It was like a wall came down and through numbing all my emotions out, I had numbed out my joy and I had numbed Mm -hmm. out everything, including my sadness Um, through my behaviors with food. But the moment I got quiet, started to become emotional, Jack turned his head, looked at me, walked right over to me from the Mm -hmm. far end of the round pen, put his nose right in my chest Mm -hmm. and did not move. And that horse in that moment confirmed kind of the opposite of what I'd been thinking, that if people saw who I really was, kind of the the mess behind the mask I was wearing that they would run away. And that horse proved to me just the opposite. When I was being authentic and true to myself, that's when he wanted to connect. And it was the light bulb went off. This is what I want to help other people experience. Oh, I bet. I bet. And in that moment, why did you think that Jack wanted you to live in the present? Why does a horse want us to live in the present moment? They want us to be congruent. And they want us to be present because when we're stuck in our head, we're usually thinking about the past or the future. We're anxious about what could happen or we're worried and upset about what did happen in the past. So we're not Mm -hmm. present. We're checked out. And when we're checked out, we're in our head and not in our body. And when we're not in our body, horses connect to us when we're breathing, when we're Mm -hmm. connected, when we're congruent meaning what we're communicating through our body language is truly how we're feeling that Mm -hmm. we're being honest. That's when they want to be with us because that's safe. That's a safe energy. Mm -hmm. And I believe they love us to be in the present because that's when they feel safe. And when they feel safe is when they want to connect. Yeah. That is very cool that you, you found that. Did you find that people had run away from you? just for being you before, or did you ever let people experience that from you? Yeah, that's a great question. More the latter. It was a story I told myself that if, yeah, if I wasn't perfect, then I wasn't good enough. And it was really growing up in a a setting where we didn't show emotions. (laughs) My family, we put on the happy face all the time, um, but really suppressed how we were feeling if it was anything other than happy and upbeat and perfect. Mm-hmm. And so I learned to shut off a lot of the other emotions. And it, mm-hmm. it wasn't the sharing my emotions that really hurt me. It was the suppressing of them. And it was mm-hmm. through the horse that I really felt safe yeah. um, to share who I was. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and they do want us to be honest, um, you know, even in discipline, you know, uh, they just want us to know what what we want them to do, even in training, I think, at, even at high performance levels, don't you think? hundred percent, yes. Mm-hmm. To be honest and clear and no mixed messages. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we're clear with ourselves and acknowledging how we're feeling in any given moment and really have an emotional t- intelligence, 
about mm-hmm. what's going on with us, yeah. the more we can navigate that and the more clear the horse is on who yeah. we are and how we're showing yeah. up. Exactly. So there, there's a lot of people, it sounds like, suffering from anxiety and depression and maybe even eating disorders, especially young women. Why do you think that is? I think there's a lot of pressure um, to be a certain way. A lot of women that come to me, um, whether it's for an eating disorder or more in general for my women's retreat, it's women that are unhappy and they feel stuck. Mm-hmm. Whether that be stuck in a dead-end job, whether that be stuck in a relationship that doesn't fulfill them, whether that be stuck in a lifestyle that doesn't align with who they are, they feel stuck. And their emotions, they're, they're not honoring who they are. So they're mm-hmm. not letting themselves feel. And they're trying to fit into a mold of who they think they should be versus who they truly are. Mm-hmm. So they come to these retreats to really get clear on who they are. What's their intuition trying to say? So is that your, your is that your job or is that the horses? How do the horses help that their their yeah. feeling of stuckness? Yeah. Well, horses can tell when we're stuck because usually, mm. like I was, very much in my head, very disconnected. So often, if somebody's stuck, I'll see a horse in a round pen, and they they won't physically want to connect or be very close. I've seen other horses walk up right behind somebody who's telling a story about something. Maybe it's the same story they've been telling about how unhappy they are in their job. And the horse go nudge them, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally, to take a step forward and get out of their own way and get out of their head. I've seen some very comical things through horses. Yeah. Um, recently at a retreat, I had a, a client who was sitting bareback on this big, beautiful draft horse. And I had the draft horse um, with a lead rope and halter. And I was asking this woman her dream. And her dream was she wanted to work more with horses and create a a healing center. But every Mm -hmm. time she would say why she couldn't do it or what was keeping her from it, this mare would either park her hind rear end, cock her hip, or take that back. (laughs) Every time this woman took a deep breath, dropped out of her head, below her neck, down into her body, down into her heart and her gut, spoke from that place of what really was true for her and what she truly wanted, the mare would take a step forward. Interesting. The horse was feeling the energy, not necessarily understanding the words, but feeling the energy of what she was saying. Mm -hmm. So do you, I mean, I love that you use nothing but a round pin too. And is there a reason why, why not a square pin? That's a good question. I think there's a lot of symbolism to a mm-hmm. circle. Mm-hmm. And instead of corners that we have to turn, I think a circle, like how everybody sits in a retreat, we start in a circle. Mm-hmm. And I think it has more movement in it, especially a feminine energy. We're square, there's more lines and linear. Mm-hmm. Um, and really our journey of self-discovery and our relationship with ourselves and horses, it's, I feel it's more circular energy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I grew up training horses in a, a round pen. Um, I guess I've just kept to that. <laughs> now it's a healing it's work too. Yeah, now it's healing work. So yeah, 30 years ago, you're, you're not old enough to know this, but 30 30 years ago, people were critical of why a round pin, um, you know, it was like, that's ooey, that's uh, silly. Uh, it doesn't make any sense because arenas were square. Everybody knew that or a rectangle, you know, 
But um, now I think people are starting to feel it, but I don't know if they actually vocalize it. I don't know if they actually have figured it all out. I know the horses did because <laughs> horse, yeah. horses can find a corner, you know, if, if they are in flight and that just stops down that whole energy of getting them to process uh, the whole trust and communication thing. It actually provides that um, ability to work through that whole intention and communication thing. Anyway, I, I could get deep here, but do you think people that are around horses a lot can still gain insights that they're not recognizing right now with horses um, by, by getting into a program? Yes, absolutely. A lot of women that come to my retreats have horses at home mm. and they're looking to deepen the bond with their own horse. Okay. Yeah. And um, I by no means call myself a horse whisperer, um, but I do like the term horse listener. For I do me, too. That really resonates. Good for you. Yeah. And I'm teaching women how to quiet their mind, get out of the thoughts that are controlling them and controlling the direction of their lives. Once they quiet their mind and really tune into what they're feeling and their intuition, I think that's when we can hear what horses are trying to communicate to us and not get so stuck in the thoughts and the practical and the analytical, but really feel into it, hear what the horse's messages are through how the horse is showing up for us. Mm -hmm. So I recommend for ladies at home, ladies and gentlemen that have horses at home, so much of the time we're out doing things with our horse. We're mucking, we're grooming, we're feeding. But one out of every four of those times that you're with your horse to go out and make it a non-agenda time mm -hmm. yes. where you're either taking a chair and sitting out by the pasture, um, you're hanging with them, you're being with them. And that really deepens the bond with your horse when it's not always about doing, when you can be more like the horse and be in the being role with them. Right. You might practice that with your dog and your kids and your husband too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Less, yeah. Not always about action. Sometimes just about, yeah, quiet, soft connection with nothing, yeah. nothing involved. No present. agenda. No agenda. I think that's a wonderful way to, uh, to live at least a part of our lives, even for those people who are feeling super fast-paced fast and, you know, overwhelmed a little bit, um, rather than that time taken away from your schedule, it actually, I think, adds to your time. Somehow that bandwidth sort of expands when you do little tricks like that for yourself. This is fascinating. So where do people find your retreats now, Devin? Uh, beyondthearena.com. Okay. And in what states are you having those retreats these days? Right now, Arizona and Colorado. Okay. Sounds fun. Who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, my <laughs> goodness. Especially Arizona in the winter. It's beautiful. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. And you don't you need no horse experience to attend. I've got uh, women who come, have a love of horses, but maybe haven't been with horses in 20, 30 years. Yeah. Can you help them with the connection. fear thing too? Because that, that happens. We, we start to feel mortal past, I don't know what it is, 40 or something, I guess. <laughs> and can, yes. you get, can you get people through fears, build some confidence out there too? Or is that part of your plan? Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, that goes hand in hand with the emotional work. Um, and I find that fear usually is showing up big time in other areas of their life. So uh, confidence is a skill. So it, it's a process. But once they come out and they acknowledge their fear and they can talk about it, 
that's when we can start to work through it. It's when people deny their fear um, that they can get into trouble. So. That depression stuff that you were talking about. Yeah, we have a we have a function coming up, an event that we it's our second annual called the Movement, and it is to bring um, those unique qualities of horses into our lives. And and I you know want to securely have horses in our lives too. The big picture is just to keep horses in our lives because I believe so much in all the attributes that they have, the qualities that help us heal or help us um, excel, uh, lots of things, right? And uh, one w- one speaker this year, is his name is Dave Mokel, and he teaches on mindfulness and being present. And mindfulness is such a big, ooey word these days, but how do you define mindfulness? I would say there's a lot of terms, but I know this is one that's thrown out a lot, but it is being in the moment, and it's awareness. Awareness is the biggest thing. Yeah, I think so. So today I was going out to feed my horses and I noticed being mindful, the snow and how it looked on this beautiful tree I've never paid attention to before. Mm -hmm. And it was because I wasn't in a rush. I wasn't looking at my watch that I could be more mindful. I think it's, yeah, quieting um, the rat race and kind of the hamster wheel of our mind Mm -hmm. and really being fully aware. Nailed it. What's going on. Nailed it. Yeah, there's a great exercise for folks with horses that I do at the retreats. If you stand with your horse and you take three minutes and you say aloud, I notice myself and you pay attention. I notice myself breathing heavy. I notice my heart beating fast. I notice my shoulders tight. And this is standing across from your horse. You're just holding them on a lead rope and halter. And then you switch it to, I noticed my horses softening Mm -hmm. their eyes, lowering their head. Then you go right back to you. I notice I am taking deeper breaths, Mm -hmm. feeling more grounded. I notice my horse has cocked their hip, licking and chewing. Mm -hmm. It's a mindfulness exercise that takes three minutes Mm -hmm. and really helps you get grounded and in the moment with a horse. Great tip. Great tip. Thank you. I want to go play now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's <a> fun. <laughs> well, Devin, thank you. I'd love to have you again, too, when you've got something, uh, a new event coming up or something. I'd love to hear more about it. I think people love this this whole exercise, and they love what horses do for the inside of us. So thanks for being here on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you so much, Debbie. Cavallo horse and rider, Carol and Greg Giles, too, have been longtime supporters of the Horsemanship Radio, and we thought, you know what better way to show how their support goes than through the people who buy their boots? So we have this from Brenna Eldridge on a Facebook post. I could not be happier with my decision to transition my horse to barefoot and choosing Cavallo for his hoof protection. I always thought my horse just had bad feet and that he would always be lame barefoot until I realized that I was enabling that dependency. By allowing his feet to adapt back to the way that they were naturally intended, his feet have become strong and he now seems perfectly comfortable barefoot. With the added weight of a rider on rough terrain, I invested in my first pair of Cavallo boots. I went with the Trek boots, and they fit him perfectly. I was able to do anything that I could do in metal shoes, and I have no longer stress over him losing a metal shoe and damaging his hoof when removed. The Cavallo boots 
have provided him greater shock absorbencies when riding on hard ground. And so far, whether it be on trails or in the arena, he seems extremely comfortable in his boots. I do a variety of riding, including trails, gaming, and drill. And I'm excited to get into the gaming season to put truly those boots to test. I believe that in horsemanship, you have to pick methods that make the most sense to you. And for me, that is the naturality of barefoot and the protection of the Cavallo boots. Brenna. Chris Lesbines fell in love with horses at a young age and never lost that appreciation for them even during successful executive careers in the automobile industry and in the software industry. He decided to go back to school for a second career as a veterinarian in his 40s. I wish we had more passionate horse advocates like Chris in our industry. Well, welcome, Chris Lesbines. It's so good to have a veterinary on the show. It's good to have a guy on the show. It's been a while. It's good to talk to you. How are you? Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm just fine today. It's uh, having a good day. Good, good. Well, it's great to get an experienced vet on from the race world who who also happens to love his horses. And uh, I want to tell the listeners a little bit about your horsey background because you have a fascinating story, which is part of the reason I wanted to have you on. Have you always been into horses, Chris? Certainly, yes. Uh, As far back as I can remember, uh, I had a fascination and a keen interest with horses. Uh, my, My only real early uh, exposure to horses was watching the Lone Ranger on Saturday mornings <laughs> and uh, w- watching Randolph Scott Westerns. I was in- enthralled with Randolph Scott's horse. See his uh, horse, course, not him so much. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it, a, a funny story is for, for years, I thought the horse was gray with a white mane because I watched the horse on a black and white TV. Oh, right. <laughs> Finally, I saw a color, a color movie. I saw the movie in color and realized he was a blonde Sorrel. Oh, <laughs> you say sorrel. Yeah. Yeah. How do you say that word, by the way? Oh, I say sorrel. I, th- I think different people say it different ways, though. Yeah, like so many things of the horse world, too. Yeah. yeah. That's not my wheelhouse. So. Oh, that's okay. You have other wheelhouses. So that's what we want to hear about, too. So um, how, how did you actually meet with real horses, not once on the black and white TV? That's a, that's a great question. My first real encounter with a horse was in my senior year of high school. <clears throat> a family friend took me out to her hunter-jumper barn and gave me a walk-trot canter lesson on a school horse. And it, it, was, uh, it was such a great experience. Uh, I was so exhilarated to be up. I, I felt like I was flying through space and time. And that event turned out to be a real defining moment um, in, in my career. Uh, I just I knew from that moment on that somehow I'd be involved with horses, uh, and it reminded me of a of a um, a quote that I read in Wendy Williams' book The Horse, and I'll I'll quote it just to, just to yeah, for you. It says, do, yeah. "Steady steady thunder of horse hooves echoes deep within the human soul," and I thought back to that experience, and I thought that oh. event truly brought the, the the deep echoes to the surface for me. Very beautiful. That, at that yeah. point on, I was destined to be involved with horses in one aspect or another. The only the, the only problem was financial. My parents my parents were hardworking musicians and music educators, and they certainly couldn't afford a, all that would be necessary mm-hmm. for, to make me an equestrian. So, how did you do it? Did you muck stalls? Did you did you earn your way through it? When I was thinking about this answer, I thought, why didn't I muck stalls? <laughs> why didn't <laughs> really? <laughs> But I just put, I kind of pushed the pause button on involvement with horses and tried to get out on my own. So I was making my own money and deciding where I was going to spend it. Yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of people do. So I know that uh, Camellia DuPont comes up in your backstory somewhere. Tell us how you got to that point. That's a long story. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> we'll make it I'm fascinated by this. So yeah, make a short one. So about this time, in the 70s and the 80s, uh, I started getting involved with racehorses and becoming a big racehorse fan. At the same time, I moved to Los Angeles uh, from Milwaukee. I, I ac- accidentally started living near the Los Angeles Equestrian Center. And I, I drove by it every day on a regular basis. And one afternoon, I just remembered, you know, how important that one day was to me riding that horse in, in a hunter-jumper barn, what, 10 years before. So instead of driving past the L.A. Equestrian Center, I drove in. And only within minutes, I had bought a lesson package. And I was off to the tax store uh, trying on boots and helmets. It was, it was really a great day. What were you doing at the time that you could afford horses now in your life suddenly? Good question. I was the general sales man, one of the general sales managers, sales managers at Universal City Nissan in in uh, in Los Angeles. So was, my mother was my mother used to say horses were God's way of telling me I was making too much money. <laughs> That's great. Good job, mom. So they set you back, but you did you weren't deterred. No, no. Uh, I, was, I was probably spending every pair, spare dime I had on, on, on horseback riding lessons, and I was competing in little school shows, and it was just a really great experience. So how do I get to there for, to, from there to Camille DuPont? Well, I'll, I'll backtrack a little. In, in 1982, I got my formal introduction to horse racing through a friend of mine with, whose family owned a pretty accomplished racehorse. And in July, we went to Hollywood Park to the races. That was my first exposure to thoroughbred racing. I was fascinated by the color, the pageantry, the excitement uh, that went into every race. And it wasn't long after that that I dove into the deep end of the pool. <laughs> I began buying and buying racehorses and breeding stock and uh, and and getting more and more more and more involved. Very very early on, we had some great success. We won our first start with our first starter down at Agricultural. Wow. Yeah. That was that was a fun story. We had, we had bought this horse off the farm where, where we raised our horses. And one of the reasons we bought him because he, he had buddied up with one of the horses we owned. So we asked if he was for sale and they sold him to us. So he was our first, our first starter and our first winner. We won, we won our first start. And I remember walking down to the, to, the, to, the, uh, to the winner circle thinking I had two thoughts on my mind. One was that there were two types of people in the world, those who had won a thoroughbred race, a thoroughbred race and those who hadn't. I thought it was such an inter- interesting, exhilarating individual experience. Mm-hmm. It was just mind blowing. And the second thought I thought, the th- second thought I had was, we just bought this horse for five thousand dollars and won back all our money in the first start. Yeah. We got to get back. To, we got to get back to circulate and buy the rest of those horses. So you were hooked. You were hooked. I was hooked, line and sinker. Yeah. So anyway, we had we had the early success with our with our first for, for first crop of horses, but more importantly. A horse came out of that crop. He, he got. He, he wasn't much of a racehorse. He had chronic injuries, but he was a big, good-looking horse. That's the horse I sent you the pictures of. Oh yeah, I'll post that. Yeah. Everyone would tap me on the shoulder when they saw him go and say, "This would be a great dressage horse." I had no idea what dressage was. I mean, literally, I'd never heard the word before. Mm. And so I started asking around, and people told me, "If you're going to have a dressage horse, you want Camilla Dupont as your trainer." Mm, of course. So I, I brought. <laughs> I had brought the horse up to, to the Los Angeles Equestrian Center. I was working with a trainer there just doing walk, trot, and canter with him. And um, I got a hold of Camila, and she came down and saw the horse, and she, she was 
du- duly impressed by the horse. He was really a natural, a natural good mover. The, um, the the lateral work was second nature to him. He was a, kind of a kind of a uh, a, a slender horse, and every, everything came easy to him. So that's that's how I got involved with Camila. But I can't stress enough how how my relationship with her really. Uh, I, I still rely on the things she taught me about horsemanship and how to how to interact with horses and how horses think. She taught me she taught me you know just the basics. She taught me how to ground drive a horse, and I spent an inordinate amount of time on the lunge line with no reins and no stirrups. So I do have some mm. bad memories too. Mm. That's mm. a joke. Mm. No, yeah, well, it's work. <laughs> so, so that's interesting, though that that she had you do your groundwork exercises early on oh, yeah. too. Yeah. She's okay. she's the beast. She's I mean she she figures out what you need and and, and that's what you get, and that's mm-hmm. what you do. Mm-hmm. But at this at this time, uh, horses. This was the early '90s, and horses absolutely dominated my existence. Mm-hmm. And as I became more successful and started making you know getting getting promoted at the at the work. I, I got. I had more money to spend. I got involved with a, a trainer at Santa Anita uh, by the name of Mike, Mike, Mike Machowski. Uh, he, he came up through the ranks. He was assistant to Richard Mandela, so he was pretty, pretty smart kid and had a really good eye for horses. So he put together partnerships where we bought three horses privately from a, a, an agent in Florida, and those three horses, two of them were stakes winners, and the other one was a really strong allowance winner. So I, I was enjoying a lot of success in the thoroughbred mm-hmm. business. That's pretty fun. So you, how much time did you spend out at the racetrack? Did you get to watch morning works and do all that? Or were you or just, just funding this project? That, that's a great question because I was having so much fun. I took some time off of work and did both. So a typical day would be going to Santa Anita, watch morning works, have breakfast on the, on the tarmac, yeah. go up and visit with the trainers, and then just get in the car and ride, go right to Middle Ranch. And there was always plenty to ride at Middle Ranch. Uh, Camille always had a horse to cool out, so if I wasn't taking a lesson, I could just get on one of her horses and cool it, just walk him around for half an hour. Yeah. So, it, like, like I said, it just dominated my existence. Yeah, very fun. So we, uh, I love that you're, you, know, you have this love history with horses and that you did care for them. So uh, we, we noticed there were initials after your name. How did you decide to become a vet, veterinarian? It had always been in the back of my mind. You know, as soon as I started racing horses, as soon as I started owning horses and working with horses, I've, I, I learned that they had physical problems and pathologies and, uh, and, and were in need of veterinary care. Um, and some of my vet bills spoke to that fact. And, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it's, a, it's an interesting transition because I was on, the, I, was, I, I left the, uh, the, the auto dealer and I was working for a software company. Mm-hmm. And I was in, uh, I, I I thought I was in my my late 30s, early 40s, and I thought I'd really like to explore going to veterinary school. I think it would be a um, you know an unbelievable experience and and something that I always wanted to do. And it was pretty counterintuitive to to the way I went through high school because when I went through high school and college, I absolutely avoided science classes, probably out of fear. But I but as I started getting involved with the horses and their and their little problems, I started to realize how what what a what a wonderful excursion it would be to, to get back into the sciences and really uh, grasp the, 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 the knowledge of the ages. Mm-hmm. So That's interesting. In a coincidence, mm-hmm. I was in uh, Ithaca, New York, and I, I went to a 7-Eleven, and I saw a sign in the window that said, 
open house at the veterinary school at Cornell. So I called my secretary and told her I wouldn't be back for the weekend. And I went and I met the, the director of admissions and I said, look, I'm 42. I don't know if this is going to work. He said, he told me that they had a 54 year old freshman that year. Mm. who was a, actually, it was an ex Navy seal. Now I, I don't, I wasn't an ex Navy seal, but I still wanted to be <laughs> an older student. So, yeah. uh, I just started making, formulating the plans to, you know, to, to gradually quit my job and uh, started to uh, learn how to, how to apply for vet school. And interestingly enough, I, avoiding all the sciences really came back to haunt me because I had to go back to school and learn algebra and how to take biology, chemistry, and all the basic classes, all the, all the, um, all the requirements to, 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 um, to apply to veterinary school. Wow, you were and, determined. You were determined, huh? Uh, an ancillary story to that is when I went in to see the one of the counselors at Cal, I went to Cal Poly Pomona, by the way. Oh yeah. And I went to see one of the counselors, and I had mapped out the next two years. I said, if I I can do this all in two years, I could take these biochemistry courses, physical physics courses, all, all the other requirements. I said I can get it done in two years. And he looked at me across the desk. He goes, "Don't even attempt it. It's too much work." Mm-hmm. There were thirty-three courses, and I, I'm going to brag a little bit here. It's just you and me. After I completed the work, I went and saw him and showed him my transcript. I said, look, I took 33 courses and got 32 A's. So don't ever tell anybody not to try it. Good for you. Good for you. It was a a real great victory, but it took a lot of discipline. Like I had a a, a real great schedule. Um, I gave myself every Friday night off. So I literally went to the movies every Friday night to clear my brain. And then what if I wanted to go to the races at Hollywood Park or Santa Anita, I would just get a box and bring my books with me. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, it was, it was, it was really, uh, you ended up going to Cornell though. Yeah. No, no. Oh. I ended up going to Penn. Oh, that's right. I did see that. Yeah. I, I wanted to go to Cornell, but I couldn't finish the requirements fast enough. Yeah. Um, so I, I wasn't able to, uh, I wasn't able to apply. Yeah. Well, good school, though. So now you've become a vet. And uh, what was your experience in vet school? Like, you know about horses, but what did you know about horsemanship? That's a great question, because I thought I knew a lot. But the more you think you know, the less you know. Mm. And when I got to the New Bolton Center, it was it was an interesting experience because I was the, the guy from the thoroughbred world. Mm hmm. They they gave me all the the, the uh, all the thoroughbreds because they thought they were crazy. It turns out that the thoroughbreds are better trained than the sport horses. They're they're, they're they 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 know how to pick up a foot to get it to get it uh, to get it clean. They, they 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 know they they anticipate your movement around the stall, mm-hmm. and the sport horses are kind of just run all over you looking for peppermints. <laughs> well, it could be a difference in the owners too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, true. But it was, um, it's an interesting question because the, the, the professors there, they're surgeons and sonographers and specialists, and they're, a lot of them don't ever really even handle horses. Um, right. So the, 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 the bell curve of horse ex- handling experience uh, is sometimes a little brutal. Mm. But I, yeah. I, so I, it, I, just, I just try it, to remember everything I learned you know, from the LA, LA Equestrian yeah. Center. The Atlanta Equestrian yeah, Center has a really good program where yeah. if you take lessons, they have little Saturday afternoon get-togethers where you learn to uh, pick hooves and 
just actually care for a horse. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which is what I wonder about a lot of the students going in the large animals, flight animals and large animals. I don't know how much experience, uh, even the professors, I was thinking the students, but even the professors have with large horses. So were you able to carry some of that, the LAX center knowledge over to them too, or is that something that just made school easier for you? Oh, I, w- I was able to car- carry that knowledge and the knowledge I picked up, picked up from Camila to uh, mm-hmm. navigate my way through the through the barns. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember, out of 120 vet students in a class, only a handful of them are equine majors. I see. So, Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, I spent a lot of time, you know, assisting and trying to uh, impart any small knowledge I had. That's nice. The, uh, the nice for the horses. Nice for the horses that. Some students can come out with with some more knowledge like that, too. Uh, Let's get into your vet work a little bit. I mean, some of the vet work, thinking about how you were going to learn this, with horses is pretty invasive. I mean, it's, you know, it can be asking a lot of a horse. How how do you approach a horse? So now you've worked as a vet for a while, or you're, you're learning to work in different ways with horses, treating them. How do you keep a horse calm? That's a that's a great question, and, and, and indeed, there are a lot of uh, really invasive procedures we do. Um, I, I approach it with with, with, with two ma- major fields of uh, of behavior. One is trying to build trust with the animal, and one is uh, communicating with the animal. And I I I've formulated through experience, my own experience of working with horses. I've tried to try to figure out what the, um, what the Holy Grail is. Mm-hmm. And most of my success comes from the fact that I try to understand the, the interaction between me and the horse from the horse's perspective. Like, here, here comes the vet. How does this horse perceive me, friend or foe? Mm-hmm. And we got to make certain that it's the former, not the latter. Yeah. I, I, have, I, have, I have a theory about, about horses uh, and, and how they interact with humans. I don't believe if if I get in a horse if I get in a stall with a groom, a horse, and myself, and I'm about to perform a procedure, I have to think about what that horse is thinking, and I don't think the horse thinks that that there's a there's a groom, there's a horse, and there's a veterinarian. I think the horse looks at it as there's three beings, there's three living beings in this stall, and are they my friends or are they my foes? Do mm-hmm. I have to do I am I going to acquiesce or am I going to fly? Or am I going to Am I going to choose um, to to resist? Um, mm-hmm. And how are they sizing you up that way? How how do they determine that? Do you think? I think. Let me backtrack just a little bit. Um, when when I approach a stall, when I approach a horse, I usually like to wait for the horse to to come to the stall to to try to figure out who's here, why why is he here, and uh, most of the horses want to interact with you because they're so bored from standing in a stall all day. Yeah. So the first thing I do is I make eye contact. A lot of people don't believe me when I tell them this, but if you make eye contact with the horse, you're you're on the same wavelength as he is. Another thing I like to do is I, I like to really rely on the grooms to keep the court, the, the, the horse the mm-hmm. horse calm because the, the groom is the is the is the key to success. And if 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 I set up every time by just leaning my my right shoulder into the near side of the horse, into the left shoulder of the horse, mm-hmm. make eye contact all the time, stay as calm as I can, maybe pet the juggler, maybe pet the neck, um, 
just to know that, that I'm not a president. I'm not the saber-toothed tiger. That's right. <laughs> His juggler. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And do you like to keep that? So you probably know your grooms when you go down a, a shed row. Do you yeah, kind of get to and, know those guys? Yeah. And work, working at a working at Arlington Park, there's a really good set of grooms, and they've been at it for 30 years, some of them. Mm. And they, they know their animals. They know their horses. And so I, I tried to learn... I learned in Spanish a very important phrase, and that's I, I just walk into the stall and I tell him dos manos en el martigón, which means put two hands on the halter. Mm-hmm. And so if the horse, mm-hmm. if the horse has the groom in there and he's got you in there, it's it, you're, you're pretty much outnumbered. <laughs> and if everything stays calm, yeah. the, the horse doesn't know that he's getting the shot. He he doesn't know that he's being worked on rather than the groom. He just knows that there's three beings in the horse. And they're all acting independently, but at the same time they're coexisting. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, it does. I'm, the grooms are there. Anybody who's been to a racetrack knows that the grooms are pretty much the omnipresence. How often do you see owners come over while you're there? Very rarely. A lot of the a lot of the owners are out of state. A lot of horses come up from Kentucky. A lot of the a lot of the trainers try to um, schedule their workouts, their their morning workouts for the weekend, so the owners can come on their days off. So a lot of owners show up every Saturday morning, every every Sunday morning. Usually they bring treats with them and coffee. And but it's it's even then it's rare that you interact with them on a professional level. Mm-hmm. A lot of them will try to corner you and, fi- and figure out, you know, try to ask you questions that they don't want to ask you in front of the trainer. Oh, <laughs> is that right? About assessing their health or about their performance or what are they asking? Performance, their health, their their mm-hmm. their, their happiness, their 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 weight gain or weight loss. Um, there's a there, there's also sense. a big bell curve with owners. There's some pretty intelligent owners, uh, horses that owners that get involved uh, with their horse and like to know uh, uh, like to know about the vet work they're receiving and the the the, uh, the, the care they're getting from the from the uh, from the mm-hmm. grooms, the trainers, and the vets. Yeah, so good. Yeah. a lot of people a lot of people you'll never see and you'll never speak to, but you send them the bill and they send you a check. So. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So the life of a, of a vet at the racetrack is pretty different than your country vet entirely, really. I, I've done very little country work in my, in my career, but yeah, most of the time you're dealing, you're dealing with an equine athlete. You're you're like the, the team trainer. Ah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're you're, you're keeping it, you're keeping an eye on their well being, on their soundness, on their, on their, on their, um, whether they're in a positive or negative energy balance, uh, mm-hmm. you, you get to know your patients, you get to know your trainers. and Yeah. Um, Do you but, feel like you have control over their health as much as you'd like, or you're just another one of the hands in there? It depends on the trainer. A lot of trainers rely on you. A lot of tra- trainers will ignore you. Mm-hmm. And when we talked before, I talked about the enemies of the racehorse. And... Mm-hmm. Greed and ignorance are, 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 are two big enemies, and, and another one is misinformation. Mm. So a lot of the horses' owners are kept in the dark about what's going on. Yeah, like the owners of a team, but they're not down in the trenches with the horses, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They don't, a lot of times they don't have an interest. In, they, they want to know when their horse is running. Uh, they want to know when their horse is breezing, and mm. they, they want to know why they did win or why they didn't. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most, uh, most most owners are pretty responsible. Um, 
it's just a matter of how much they want to get involved. Yeah, I can't imagine owning these beautiful creatures and not wanting to get involved, but there there I am. Some people are more in for a sport, and some people are more in it for the love of horses, and we're really glad that you're in it for the love of horses. I I would want you as my vet in the, at the track, but I don't know how many owners actually get to even choose that. Do you get chosen or hired by the trainer more often or the owner? It's probably about 95% you're hired by the trainer, mm-hmm. um, but you do have, you do have owners that will ask for you nice. or wonder where you're working to go into that practice. When I, when I was, when I was at Arlington, um, I'd have trainers come to me and say, I want you to do my work. And I say, and, and I, I worked for a practice and I say, you, you can't hire me. You have to hire the practice. Mm-hmm. So we were a pretty dominant practice at Arlington for a long time. So I got to ask when, when I have you on here now, cause you're working the back back side of the track and, you get all kinds of fun stories. Do you do any trainers? You don't even have to name them. Have any particular idiosyncrasies that are um, part of their daily routine? Something that would be we would never yeah. expect. <laughs> Some there's, fun there's thing. A lot of fun stories. Like if a horse wins in one pair of silks, you got to put that same pair of silks on him next time, or it's can't even wash them, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of the funniest stories, and I've got I've kind of got to be humble about this. I had a uh, one of my best friends tra- who trains horses, uh, he's a really, really smart guy, really fun guy to work for. And uh, he had a filly that came out of a race and she had a uh, probably an uh, eight-inch uh, wound on the front of her cannonbone. So I, I was called to work on it and I, for some reason I decided to staple it. And I never, or I Ninety-eight percent of the time, I suture a wound. I put stitches in it. Yeah, especially the cannabis. Yeah, yeah. I never use a stapler, but I decided, you know what? I'm going to staple this. And admittedly, I'm better at suturing than stapling. Okay. So I thought that day, let me staple this horse. I need a little experience stapling. So I put about twenty staples in this horse, and it looks great. And then I go back two weeks later to take him out, and it goes pretty uneventfully. And a year later, he ships into Arlington. And this filly ships in, and, and I'm telling you, it's been one year since I stapled her. Yeah. He calls me up. He calls me up, and he says, "Hey, Chris, I think you left a staple in." Oh. And I'm thinking, "No way! That was a year ago. There couldn't be a staple in her." I said, "He must be dreaming." So I drove up, and she's in. The, I drive up to the barn, and she's in the wash rack, and the sun is shining. And I look over, oh, and I can no. I can see the glint from the sun. Oh, that's I'm, awful. I can see the staple from, from about thirty paces. I can see the staple. And I go, geez, you're right. I can't believe I left a staple. I said, it's my, my bad. I'm sorry about that. I said, I'll take it out right now. And he goes, don't you touch it. It's said, good luck. <laughs> no. Like, what do you mean? He, he looks at me and he goes, she's won five races with that staple. It ain't coming out. <laughs> that is awful. Is that why the groom left it? I'm thinking, why isn't the groom finding the staple part thing? So you don't think she was uncomfortable in that then? Apparently not. No. It's just five a, races. just piece of metal in her skin. Um, That's a tough one. <laughs> well, a lot of times, I'll tell you, a lot of times since I was second career veterinarian, you know, I, I, I went back to school when I was 42. I started vet school when I was 44 and I graduated when I was 48. And anybody who knows anybody who wants to do something second career always refers me. And I hark back to a, a, a passage I read in the Charlie Whittingham's biography where a, 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 young, a not so young person said he was thinking of going to vet school. And Charlie Whittingham asked him, well, why aren't you going? He's, and he said, well, I'm going to be in my forties when I graduate. 
And Charlie Whittingham says back to him, he goes, you're going to be in your 40s anyway. Uh, That's right. That's right. And that sounds so young now, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, now that I'm in my 60s. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, congratulations. I am glad you took the plunge, plunge, and horses are glad you took the plunge. And it's just fascinating to hear a little back backstory on uh, an industry I don't get to hear much from. So I'm really glad. It gives me hope that there are good people and good horse lovers, even in the back. Great to talk with you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Chris. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place and learn the magic in the language of the Dear Monty, I have a 36-year-old stallion, and for three years I have had a problem with him. Every time I walk my horse with a halter only to a venue to work with him, he just stands still on the road or in front of the door. I have the feeling he does not respect me. When my teacher, who has helped me learn to ride the horse, walks behind the two of us, he just walks in the indoor school hall right away. But if my friend does the same and urges him to move, my horse only makes one step. He does not only threaten to kick people, he does it. My friend has had an accident with this horse already. Could you please help? Monty's answer. At 36 years of age, this horse is by most accepted standards well into his 90s in human terms. No matter how difficult great-grandfather seems to be, the family generally doesn't discuss ways to retrain him. There comes a time for every person and every horse when responsibilities are a thing of the past and retirement is well earned in our 90s. I would do this old horse no favor if I started discussing ways to improve his behavior. Green grass, fresh water, and a loving person to groom and care for him is what this old fellow needs at this time and all I would recommend for him. When you have a similar problem with a horse of an age more reasonable for training, then you will find me recommending my Dooley Halter. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too, on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, May 25th at the Night of Inspiration at Flag is Up Farms in Solvang, California. And July 22 through 26 is Monty's special training in Portuguese, so we call that Monty's special training Brazil in California. July 29 to August 2nd is another Monty's special training in Anglais, in English. (laughs) 
<laughs> so that is the one that we've had since 2006. It's a lot of fun. And it's really intense on learning the horses and everything. You're an auditor. Um, you're watching Monty work the whole week through. And it's um, just one of the more beautiful courses we teach all year. And August 5th through 16, two weeks, is the Gentling Wild Horses course, also at Flag is Up Farms in California. Stays busy there year-round. Mm-hmm. It does. And you can find out that and so much more at MontyRoberts.com. Or you can give them a call there at Flag is Up Farms. The phone number is 805-688-6288. For details about today's show, that would be episode 135, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com. And there you're going to find links on today's guests and topics, pictures, and more information. And one of the ways that we help make this show fun and interesting is from your feedback. We want to hear from you. What did you think about this show, the last show, the next show? You can do that on Facebook. Monty Roberts is the page. Look for the one with the little blue check mark. That's the official Monty Roberts Facebook page. You can also follow Monty on Twitter if you want to live your life 150 characters at a time. And his handle there is Monty underscore Roberts. And it is the same on Instagram if you are more photographic in nature. Yes. Visual. (laughs) If you're more visual. If you're a visual communicator. And get the Horse Radio Network app and get it for your friends. It's the easiest way to listen to all the shows on the Horse Radio Network. It's available for iPhones and Androids. Just go to your app store, search Horse Radio Network, and download it. It's free and easy. And for the less tech-savvy folks in your life, help them do it, too. They'll thank you later. And many thanks to our sponsors, too, Omega Fields, which we have just spent the movement time with. It was a lot of fun with Sean out there. So it's Omega Fields is our title sponsor. Cavallo, Horse and Rider, love Greg and Carol, having so much fun with them. And Monty Roberts University, that is just our legacy piece. We have so much fun putting that together for everybody every week. So thank you to our sponsors who make this show happen. And be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio network at www.horseradionetwork <laughs> you know <laughs> that part and horseradionetwork.com <laughs> go there until next time have many happy horse hours <laughs>